I sent a uh, message to the staff earlier this morning, and I want to read it to you because I think it uh, applies to what I want to say today. In 1727, the Moravian Brethren began praying for their church, for the spread of God's fame on the earth. In shifts, they prayed around the clock for 24 hours. 65 years later, they were still praying in shifts 24 hours a day, nonstop. By 1791, they had sent out 300 missionaries around the world. And their nonstop prayer meeting lasted for over 100 years. Judge for yourself whether the American church has anything to learn from the Moravians. I think we do. I want to challenge you today to turn to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, chapter 18. And I want to talk in this new series of prayers of the heart, how to grab hold of God for our city, how to grab hold of God for our city. I don't need to rehearse for you the troubles that we have in our community. We are not unique among towns or cities or major metropolitan areas. Every one of them has their issues, their problems, their areas you're afraid to go to. They have their gangs. They have crime, they have violence, they have murder, they have abuse. We have all of that. You can have that in a small town, you can have it in a big town. The question is, do you just gripe about it? Do you whine about it? Do you wish you lived somewhere else only to find out they've got the same things? Or do you grab hold of God to change the city? That's our choice. We can either just let the world go to hell and us sit here and sing great praise songs, or we can grab hold of God for our city. But one day, one day, every member of this church, which has been taught for almost 30 years the importance of prayer, one day, every one of us, everyone, me included, will stand before a holy God to give an account if we stood in the gap and interceded for this city. We will not be full of excuses that we can hand out. I was too busy. I didn't have time. I wasn't aware. This is not hard to figure out. We're in a mess. And we have a choice. We can worry and whine or we can pray. We can complain or we can intercede. Ed Stetzer said, doing the king's work requires us to live within the world in some ways and to rebel against it in others. God calls us to do both. Here's what I know. Without praying churches, this city is hopeless. It has no hope. You remove the salt and light of a church out of a community, and it's chaos. Without prayer, we can never take back ground that the devil has stolen. 
When the Jews of the Old Testament lost their land, it wasn't just dirt that they lost. They lost the sense of the presence of God. They lost the power of the presence of God on their culture and in their communities because they lost their intimacy with God. And when you lose your intimacy with God, you lose everything. David Jeremiah said, as I wake up and scan today's headlines, when I look at the changes that have occurred in the land I love and in the church I love even more just in my lifetime, I have to pinch myself to see if it's a dream gone bad. These unprecedented times demand an unwavering church. In the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, it says, The sons of Issachar had an understanding of the times to know what the people of God should do. We understand the times, but are we doing what the people of God should be doing? Are we just wringing our hands? Are we talking back to the television? Are we just watching the news we want to watch? Are we putting blinders on as we drive down the streets of our community? Are we just praying for us for and no more? Or are we legitimately engaged in the life of this community that the world cannot ignore that we are among them? That is where we must be. Peter said that judgment begins at the house of God. It does not begin at the White House. It does not begin in the Capitol. It does not begin in the legislature, state, or federal. It does not begin in your neighbor's house. It begins in God's house. Judgment begins here. We must judge whether we are praying to the effect and to the extent that God has designed for us to pray. Does it break our heart enough to seek the change that we need to be? Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 11 says, I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in the streets. All who pass by jeer at you. They scoff and insult beautiful Jerusalem. You can insert Albany and southwest Georgia right there. Saying, is this the city called most beautiful in all the world? You could insert the good life city right there. And the joy of all the earth. America was founded on what Francis Schaeffer called the Judeo-Christian conscience. The Judeo-Christian conscience. What breaks God's heart? Does it still break our hearts? We're in a post-Christian nation. Let me, let me give you some instructions. Do not say you live in the Bible Belt anymore. Take that out of your vocabulary. We are not a Bible Belt. You wouldn't have this junk going on in a Bible Belt. You wouldn't have the racism and the hatred and the abuse and all of that that is going on in a place that was saturated with the Bible. We are a post-Christian nation. End of discussion. Anybody that studies society and nations 
and the Bible and compares it would say, we are not a Christian nation and we're making a mockery of the name of God to say that we are. Now, I'm not getting any amens because some of you think I'm off the reservation here. Because you got blinders on. Because it hasn't come inside the door of your house and affected your children, you think it's not happening. It's happening all around you. Wake up, smell the coffee. Our nation has an agenda of permissiveness and perversion and immorality. We have a politics of the godless self-serving who feed off of lobbyists who put money in their pocket and they vote not for you, but for themselves and for their self-interest. And we have pulpits filled with cowards that are afraid to lose their jobs by speaking the truth, and so they cow down to power brokers inside their churches, and they refuse to speak the Word of God because they want to be liked rather than approved by God. Christians are considered a threat. Political correctness is the agenda of the day. Exaltation of self dominates everything. Churches lack courage because they are prayerless and thus powerless. Russell Moore said, our call is to an engaged alienation, a Christianity that preserves the distinctiveness of our gospel while not retreating from our calling as neighbors and friend and citizens. So in Genesis 18, we find the first intercessory prayer in the Bible. Now, there's a law when you study the Bible, the law of first occurrence. Like, when is the first time the just shall live by faith appears? This is a law of first occurrence. This is the first intercessory prayer in the Bible. And you must note that the first time that God, in his inerrant word, records a prayer is an intercessory prayer, and it is a prayer for a city which should guide our intercession, how we pray. Abraham prayed that God would spare Sodom and Gomorrah. His prayer is bold, it is direct, and it is specific. Pick up in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 18. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was, and you ought to underline this, still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Now see, Abraham didn't know what we know, that we have been invited to boldly approach the throne of grace. 
We don't come timidly, we go boldly. Abraham is doing that before that verse was ever written, thousands of years before it was written. And there was this otherness about God, that this fear of God that you, you just don't talk to God like that. But he said, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. You could write persistence over the top of this chapter. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. In other words, Abraham knew in his heart he had reached the limit of what he could ask for. Somehow he understood he could not push harder on God than he got right here. Suppose ten are found there, and he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. He prayed by faith. The Bible calls us to pray in faith, Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. Isaiah 65 and verse 24, but before they call, I will answer. We are called to pray by faith, to believe that God hears our prayers and to plead with God. We are to ask and to seek and to knock. And that passage in Luke 11 means to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock, and keep on knocking. This is not about one sermon about this. This is about this being in our prayer DNA, that we pray for our city as we drive through our city, as we live in our city, as we do business in our city. We take our city before the throne of grace and ask God to have mercy. Now, we've had three major storms. And I haven't seen anybody in positions of power call a citywide prayer meeting. We're going to have to have three more? You think we could stand that? Churches are going about their business. Once we get our houses done, we're back about our business. We're just kind of doing the same thing. Say, so, man, glad that's over. What if... It would have never had to happen if we had gotten a hold of God and he had diverted things. Now, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I can tell you, praying wouldn't have hurt us before. Might have helped us a little bit. Warren Wiersbe said, believing God doesn't mean sitting down and enjoying a comfortable feeling while we think beautiful thoughts. 
Believing God means standing up and facing an impossible challenge without fear of what might happen when we obey God's will. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. Now, he obeyed God to leave, to go to a land that he had never been to. He obeyed God and believed God for a son, although he was past, and his wife were past the age of childbearing. And now he believes God for a city where he has family. Verse 22, Abraham was still standing before the Lord. I want you to notice this. He was before the Lord and between the Lord and Sodom. So if you can picture this, he's talking to God, he's lifted his heart and his voice to God, and he's standing here, and he is between God and Sodom. The only person who even cares that Sodom is going to be destroyed, Sodom doesn't care. They don't think God's going to do anything. Lot doesn't care. Lot's wife doesn't care. Lot's children don't care. Abraham cares. Where's the person in Albany, Georgia? Where's the person in Sherwood? Where's the person in your Bible study group that is standing between the Lord and judgment on southwest Georgia? Is there one? If not, why not? More than, Lord, just bless our community and help us get back to normal. While churches are dying and people are fighting and there's still people that won't talk to people and people that won't forgive people and the people that won't confess sin and people that will never come to a church altar to pray because their pride stands in the way. Where is the person that stands between the Lord and Sodom? His burden wouldn't let him say, it's not my problem. John 14, six times says, if you ask, I will do. Ron Dunn said, there are some things God will do if we ask and that he will not do if we do not ask him. What are you asking God for? Every time I'd see Manly Beasley, that's the first question out of his mouth. He didn't say, how are you doing? He didn't say, how's the family? First thing out of his mouth was always, what are you trusting God for today? What are you believing God for today? What are you asking God for today? Luke 21, 36, pray always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. You see, Abraham didn't say, let me get Lot out of there, and then you can destroy the city. Abraham didn't say, let me get a job somewhere else for Lot so he can move and then you can just have the city. Do with it what you want. He wasn't just praying for his nephew. He saw the judgment of God coming and he stood to intercede. R.A. Torrey in his book, How to Pray, said, God delights in the holy boldness that will not take no for an answer. It is an expression of great faith. And nothing pleases God more than faith. He prayed by faith. He prayed for others. 
He didn't live in the city, but he had family there. It deserved judgment. He didn't say they didn't deserve judgment. He just said, would you spare if we could find 50 righteous, 45, 30, 20, got down to 10. Lot was such a sorry Christian, Lot couldn't even come up with two or three other people that had come to believe in Jehovah God to join his family. All he had to do was come up with was three or four. And he had lived there for years. But when it came to crunch time and the judgment of God, here's a believer, Lot was a believer according to the New Testament, here's a believer that is so quiet about the gospel and so quiet about his faith and so carnal in blending in in his social media posts and in his interactions with people that he has no influence on a lost city. And God judges a city because one man and his family could have stopped it and partnered with Abraham's prayer, but they didn't do it. Listen, if we quit, if we grow weary, we're sunk. Do you believe that? Twelve of you do. I'm wondering if I'm wasting my time today. Because I do not see in our midst tears for the lostness of this city. I don't hear it in our conversations. I don't see it on our Facebook posts and our Instagrams. I don't see the pain and the burden that believers ought to have. If we care that every obituary is a person in heaven or hell. That every crime is a person that is headed to hell apart from the intervention of God. A prayerless church in effect says we don't care if things change or not. He prayed persistently. He just kept asking God. Prayer is faith exercised, and prayer is faith strengthened. This intercessory prayer is persistent. It is patient. It is pleading. It is bold. It is daring. He boldly approached God. Do we do that? Do we do that for our city or just for the kids that sleep in our homes? Hey, you better do it for the city because the kids sleeping in other people's homes are going to take your kids on a road to a pig pen. You better be doing it with other people's homes. You better be doing it in other people's homes because there are people spending millions of dollars in this town to get your kids to drink and to do dope and to buy dope and to sell dope and to have sex outside of marriage. They are marketing it to the hilt. While we say, Lord, thank you for the cornbread and the baked potatoes and the fried chicken. Amen. That's our prayer life. You better be praying because there are vultures in every neighborhood. And there are people out to destroy your kids and steal their hearts. Say, well, I don't have any kids at home. Now, you've got a bigger problem than I've got time to deal with. You got a way bigger problem. 
Some of you don't have any kids. You should be going and volunteering in schools to read and just be soft and light. You should be serving in some areas in this community just to be salt and light. Just let them see a little of something of what Jesus looks like. Not trying to win them to Sherwood Baptist Church, trying to let them know that Jesus loves them. You see, we won't see awakening until we see revival. And we won't see revival until we do what God says. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through uh, three says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Hey, Paul told them to do that. They're under a Roman dictator who is a homosexual. And Paul said, pray for him. I ain't praying for him. They're in the wrong party. I didn't see anything about Democrat or Republican or independent parties in the Bible. Nothing. It says, pray for those in authority. Why? Because God can get into rooms you can't get into. Pray for those in authority. Well, I don't like what the president's doing, and I don't like what Nancy Pelosi's doing, and I don't like what this person's doing, and I don't like what that person's doing. Why don't you shut up and pray? Because all you're doing is griping, and it's not changing anything. It just jacks up the squawk box. Just stop fussing and start fighting on your knees. Grab hold of God on behalf of this country because if you don't, your children and your grandchildren are going to be raised in a nation that is godless and hopeless and under judgment. Oh man, the Jews cried when they got sent to Babylon. They didn't have to go to Babylon. They went to Babylon because they didn't do what God said. Hey, this town can go down the toilet. It's not just sewage being dumped into the Flint River. It's sewage being dumped into our streets. Spiritual sewage. And if this town goes down the tubes, look in your mirror. Because it won't matter who you elect mayor. It won't matter who you elect city council. It won't matter who you elect for any position of office. What you and I have to do is the one thing we can do. And is that pray for God to change hearts. God didn't call us to politic. He called us to pray. So let me give you a prayer list for cities and nations. Pray for secular leaders. Pray for secular leaders. Well, I don't like them. Then pray for them. I like them. Pray for them. I don't know who they are. Pray for them. You can get their names. It's not hard to get the names of every leader in this community and in this county and in this region, in our state, in the nation. Pray for them. Uh, write them a note and tell them you're praying for them. It'll scare some of them to death. <laughs> Secondly, pray as citizens of earth and heaven. Pray as citizens of earth and heaven. 1 Peter 2, 
15, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So do not use freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. Pray for spiritual leaders. You ought to pray for the pastors, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, the leaders of every church. You ought to pray for the people that teach children. You ought to pray for the people that teach young people that they would be good, godly ambassadors. We are in a spiritual battle. It is a tough battle. And the devil fights for keeps. And every prayerless church, every demon of hell applauds. They are the prayerless church biggest fans. We must make the devil angry. We must give him someone and something to deal with. And that is the prayers of the saints. When Paul wrote about spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, he, he talks about putting on the armor. But when he says to stand firm, and then he starts talking about the, every individual piece of the armor in Ephesians 6. We don't have time to go all the way there. He comes to verse 18 and he says, Praying always and with all prayer and supplication. Now the word stand, if you just write it in your notes, in Ephesians 6, 14... The word stand is the command for the rest of the verses on the armor are parenthetical. Paul says, stand. We're in a spiritual battle. Stand. Now, when he starts listing the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the sword, all of those are parenthetical because he goes right back to it. So if you connect a line from Ephesians 6 to Ephesians 18, 6, 18, it would read like this. Stand firm, therefore, praying with all prayer and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. Prayer is the field on which the battle rages. Prayer for the lost is one in prayer. Battle is one in prayer. The battle for our schools is one in prayer. The battle for our economy is one in prayer. The battle for our neighborhoods are one in prayer. The battle with darkness is one when we walk in the light. The battle with decay is one when we are sought to season this world. Jeremy Taylor said the rules and exercises of holy living said Christ has put it in the power of prayer into the hands of men and the prayers of men have saved cities and kingdoms from ruin. The future is in your hands. We either stand before the Lord and between this city or we perish with it. Now that may sound a little over the top for you. It wasn't over the top for Sodom. And we're just as guilty of sin as Sodom. It's just more sophisticated.
and we can hide it on our computers and we can hide it on our going through our phones we can hide it in a lot of ways but we have to stand between the Lord and Albany in southwest Georgia and if everybody joins us or nobody joins us there needs to be a group of people known in heaven for their intercession because we grabbed hold of a city that is no longer the good life city until God turned it into the God life city. That's where it starts. Does it burden you enough to get up from your seat and come to this altar.